Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, individual liberty and public health. So, Richard, one of the big stories uh, over the past few weeks has, has been this outbreak of measles throughout the country. It began with this exposure at Disneyland. Now it's spread to some 14 states. We've got more than 100 cases out there. And of course, we're talking here primarily about people who have not gotten the measles vaccine. And we've kind of seen a similar dynamic in recent years in some places with things like like whooping cough. Mm-hmm. How is it that we are losing so much ground on these diseases where we had sort of started taking for granted that we just didn't have to think about them anymore? Well, I think there are two explanations for it. One of them is precisely because you start to take things for granted, you start to let things slide. Uh, So there are many people who say, look, I mean, this thing is really gone. Um, I look at my own child. I know that there's some kind of complications associated with vaccines some of the time. If he's not going to get it because everybody else is vaccinated, then why should I expose my child to even this kind of a small risk? If one person thinks that, then the so-called herd immunity will protect everybody because there won't be enough people for this virus to jump from person to person. But as everybody starts to make the same logic, it's kind of a prisoner's dilemma game. And what happens is more and more people decide that they're not going to take the vaccine. Once it turns out that the virus, perhaps in a souped up form, uh, starts to spread, there's less resistance and it goes through a population very rapidly. There are people who are under the massive illusion that if they're generally healthy, they're not subject to various kinds of ills like measles. But this is not a question in which you run four miles a day you're going to be fit against the attack. These viruses can hit healthy people and they spread very rapidly from person to person. The second thing about this is I think it's a sadder commentary. There's a huge amount of kind of what you might want to call medical fundamentalism hanging out there in which it turns out there's a sort of a populist sentiment that the medical profession, that the public government, um, that the large drug companies are a kind of a dangerous troika. And what they're doing is they're spreading all sorts of misinformation about these vaccines and that the alert members of the public should have to be very, very careful not to do anything. Uh, So starting at about 1998, there was this huge claim uh, that autism was called by um, mercury, which was found in a, basically in a drug that's used, thymosol, a compound, in order to allow you to bind separate vaccines together in a way that makes it possible for you to get them into the system early and therefore reduce the risk of infection. Uh, I think it's pretty much agreed on the part of everybody that the claims that this stuff, in fact, did cause autism were completely bogus. The tragic thing in some sense is the FDA admits that the connection isn't there, but it still cautions against the possible use because there may be some long-term residual complication of which they're not aware. And I think, in effect, that's sort of yielding to the worst of these instincts and that one has to recognize that when you start to talk to people, you don't want people thinking worst case about safety situations. You want to think of them in terms of expected value. And just to give you one number, you know, around 1963-64 when the vaccines first hit, the number of measles cases was 400,000 a year. And if, you know, you talk about a fatality rate of even one fraction of 1%, you could lose several hundred or even a thousand thousand people, um, children to that stuff. And then it goes down to virtually zero. And, you know, if there are a lot of side effect cases and so forth, nobody sees it, but the 
odds of the vaccine being more dangerous to a person than the disease that it's designed to prevent against are minuscule. If people don't understand that, they're going to start making wrong choices. And so instead of talking, first of all, about compulsion, which is going to raise a lot of issues, what one has to really do is to make sure that the information gets out there correctly and that people understand what the odds are. And they're all in favor of taking the vaccines. So this week we have had two prominent politicians, Rand Paul and Chris Christie, both generate a lot of media headlines on this topic because they both indicated upon questioning that they thought that uh, parents should have a certain amount of discretion in when or whether their children get the vaccinations. How do you respond to the comments from the two of them? Well, I think, as I said before, the the issue of compulsion is always more difficult than the issue of what a parent should do. And ideally, what one would like to see is parents take the correct information, realize that even if they ignore all the collateral risks to other people, they are basically playing a form of Russian roulette with their own children's health when they decide not to take these vaccines unless there's some specific medical reason why it turns out that they cannot do so. One of the reasons why it is that you are very uneasy about the compulsion system is then you actually have to square this up against the question of whether or not there's somebody who exhibits the kind of sensitivity, immune reactions or whatever uh, that make it unwise for them to take this. So if you're going to have to put a system of compulsion into place, you're going to have to build in some administrative structure that's going to allow exceptions to that to take place. In fact, in the original vaccine case, which upheld the power of the state to impose compulsory vaccination, a case called Jacobson against Massachusetts, the applicant who protested this said, look, I I take this thing as likely to kill me given my past history with variety of diseases and vaccines. And it never actually came to forcing him to take the vaccine. What happened is if he didn't take the vaccine, he had to pay a $5 fine. Uh, So, I mean, you know, we don't have a program of compulsory vaccination strong sense. There's also the question about whether or not you could exclude individuals from school if they don't get the vaccines. Private schools do this all the time, I think. And I suspect that at the Supreme Court, which held that public schools can exclude people who are not vaccine, vaccinated, also was the right decision subject to these medical caveats that I talked about before. Uh, but before one does this, the, the great kind of trouble about the Christian Paul situation, particularly Rand Paul, he starts to ramble on about what he regards as the mental conditions that are created by the use of these vaccines, for which, as best I can tell, there's no evidence whatsoever anywhere. I mean, you know, if you wanted to say that, you know, sometimes the vaccine can cause the disease. That's surely true, although it's very, very unlikely. Uh, But the whole sort of frame of mind is he says he wants to give the parents choice because it's really a very close question. It's not really a very close question for most parents. I mean, you know, I as a parent and my wife are very strong on getting vaccines. We urge our children to do the same thing with our grandchildren and all the rest of this stuff. It's not that kind of a close case. And what's happened is you start listening to the sorts of reasons that people give for not taking vaccines. They are all at a high level of abstraction and they're all desperately misguided. So Let's first get the right information out there. I think that will do an enormous amount. And if it turns out at 
this point there is still insufficient coverage, then you might have to think about compulsion. Um, it's not that compulsion is off limits constitutionally. Uh, you can't be a hardline libertarian when there's a contagion and spread risk, a negative externality, which makes individual choice very difficult to manage. But what you try to do is to first ramp up the campaign, which means getting rid of a lot of the disinformation that's had far too much respect in this area. There's also a liability problem that I could comment on later if you'd like to talk about it. You mentioned that the compulsion issue is not off the table constitutionally. Can you give us kind of the, the framework that the, those sort of questions would operate under? What are those sort of the legal constraints on the state as far as where it can push parents uh, in treating their children? Okay. Well, there are two kinds of cases you do. The first is the generalized case and then you're going to get the very serious Christian science monitor religious belief sorts of cases. Um with respect to the general case, the usual view on this subject is that there's certainly a liberty issue that's involved anytime somebody wants to stick a needle into you. Uh, but the reason why the uh, issue is generally thought to be resolved in the abstract in the opposite direction is the so-called residual police power of the state. Uh, the police power is one of these indispensable concepts which is also inevitably extremely dangerous in its application. But the standard formulation, which was you know, accepted fully by the old court long before the New Deal came along, was that the government could limit either liberty or property in order to protect at the very least the health and safety of the public at large. And it also extended to cases of morals traditionally and also the general welfare, a very slippery concept indeed. So concentrate on the health and safety. And the argument is if you're not taking this, make somebody else much more exposed to the situation, then and it's perfectly appropriate for the state to insist upon this herd mentality. It's a complicated argument because people will then come back and say, look, you don't have to force me to take it. If this is a really safe and good vaccine, then everybody else should take it themselves and individual choice will work just fine. Uh, the argument becomes then more complicated because all these vaccines, while highly effective, are not necessarily absolute guarantees that things will go well. The flu vaccine from this last year turned out to be a very bad fit, for example, relative to the virus in question. And so now that there's some leakage, the question is if we have leakage and low participation, it could lead to a major problem, so the state has to intervene. It's an extremely difficult kind of calculus to work. And the good thing about this is, unlike so many other areas, I don't see any systematic sign of government abuse in the way in which the uh, issue has been thus far faced. Right now, we've tended to stay away from compulsion. It's only the rise of these cases which is going to bring it back on the table. And I think anybody who's in favor of compulsion has to understand that the presumption is against it. And you really have to think long and hard about what the breakdown is in the individual choice set. So again, just to stress the basic point, I would much prefer that parents and think seriously about this issue and do it themselves. Um, I still remember when I was a boy, you know, there was a, either a measles outbreak or something else. And in 1946, there's a picture of people lining up in some various medical aid stations, their sleeves rolled up, getting vaccine one at the time. Today, when you start running these vaccine programs, I can assure you the liability risks that go to the drug companies that manufacture these things are simply enormous because anytime something adverse happens, there's always a lawyer out there who will say it was the result of the vaccine rather than the natural strain in the wild. And this was certainly true with the polio cases that started in about 1968 to 1975. And so much of the cost of vaccine today is tied up in uh, getting insurance 
evidence against tort liability for its administration, where the liability represents a terrible judgment. I mean, if the odds are, say, 1 in 10,000 that it's the vaccine caused it relative to the natural strain that's out there, people don't get vaccinated for polio all the time and hope it's a real peril. What's happening is if you treat every one of these things as created by the vaccine, you're treating a very helpful agent as though it's a dangerous agent. You misprice it and you reduce the coverage that otherwise takes place. And so the liability system um, with its jury judgments has not done a lot of good to make sure that vaccines have received the widespread use that they deserve it drives manufacturers out, raises prices, creates monopoly complications, and all sorts of other undesirable stuff. In California, for instance, which is one of the places where you're seeing the the rate of parents going without vaccinations a little bit higher, the state allows parents to opt out based on a personal objection if they get the signature of a doctor, basically saying that they've they've consulted, they know what the issues are. If we continue to see these kinds of problems, do you think at that point maybe the state has to look at a more exacting standard before parents can, can opt out? Sure. I think what happens is if you believe that the, most of the parents are opting out on the sort of generalized objections that I've talked about before, uh, given the contagion risk, that is that they think it's bad to put toxins inside the body or something of that particular nature, you're going to have to have this thing reviewed by some independent board and have the presentation of evidence before this thing could be done. Um, you know, this is very costly to do and one can understand why people like you know Christie and Rand Paul are uneasy about it. Uh, but if it becomes serious enough, uh, then you're going to do it. Right now, if it turns out that this epidemic stops at 100 or 200, I think it would be unwise to introduce that. But suppose it spiked next year to 10,000. At that particular point, I think, you know, you're going to have to say that the voluntary system has failed, uh, that the people who are injured in many cases are those who are helpless to protect themselves, um, and that we may have to consider the use of this compulsion. Let me again state it. The good libertarian position sets the presumption against compulsion but does not make it absolute. And the good libertarian position does not think, in effect, that bad information should receive a free pass. And at this particular point, it's hard to sue anybody for saying false statements, but it's important that a lot of private medical groups and a lot of public health officials come up and, and, and give a fairly strong statement about it to the, con- to the contrary. You know, Ben Carson, no mean doctor himself, a great physician in fact, you know, he said exactly the right thing on this. Um, and we need more people like him to talk up in that particular fashion. All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org.